Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Hello there and salutations. You're listening to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven splattered onto the end. This episode, I give my terrible movie tolerance threshold a run for its pocket change by watching the entire Pumpkinhead franchise. That's right, this episode has Pumpkinhead, Pumpkinhead, and post-high school deaths. Come with me, your great host, Josh Baker, to a graveyard pumpkin patch and help dig up a weird-looking corpse because it's time to summon Pumpkinhead. Number 1, Pumpkinhead, 1988, directed by Stan Winston. Some city folk take a trip to a cabin. On their way to the cabin, they stop at a roadside grocery store, which gives Joel, the jerk character, enough time to get on his dirt bike and accidentally run over the shop owner's kid. Joel then runs off because he's been drinking. The rest of the group drives to the cabin to call for help, but Joel pulled the phone line out of the wall and holds them hostage. The kid dies, so his dad Ed Harley goes to see an old witch who brings a creature called Pumpkinhead to life after Ed brings her a weird body from a graveyard pumpkin patch. Pumpkinhead kills Joel and a bunch of his friends. Ed feels bad about unleashing Pumpkinhead, so he helps the two remaining city dwellers once everyone realizes the only way to kill Pumpkinhead is to kill Ed due to a link between them, Ed tries to kill himself and fails. The final girl finishes the job and kills Ed, thus also killing Pumpkinhead. The movie ends with the old witch putting Ed's weird corpse in the spot where he got the weird body that turned into Pumpkinhead. Joel, Ed Harley, Pumpkinhead, and the old witch are the killers. Ed and the old witch brought Pumpkinhead back to kill, so they are fully to blame for the creature's rampage. The movie starts in the past where you see Pumpkinhead finish up a killing spree. When I saw Pumpkinhead for the first time on screen, I thought to myself, huh, that Pumpkinhead really looks like a xenomorph. That's because the director, Stan Winston, worked on the creature effects for Aliens. Pumpkinhead was Stan's directorial debut, but what he's mostly known for are his Oscar-winning visual effects for Aliens, Jurassic Park, and Terminator 2. The dude's resume is absolutely ridiculous. He even made the Mr. Roboto mask for sticks. Pumpkinhead is far from a good movie, but the creature effects are incredible. Well, when you can't obviously tell it's a man in a suit. My favorite visual effects sequence in the film is when the weird corpse Ed brings the witch is made into a full pumpkin head. Actual puppets and creative shadow use make the transformation look fantastic. 
There are also a bunch of scenes where Pumpkinhead's claws grab, scratch, and even shove a body through a window, which look incredible. My favorite death of the movie is definitely that window shove. Most of the other kills in the movie are pretty forgettable. Sure, Joel gets a gun shoved through his torso, but I wanted so much more for the kid killer. Besides the window and Joel kill, most of the others are people being dragged off screen and then dropped. The gore is also pretty scarce for people being killed by a giant clawed monster. The little bits we do get look fine. One thing that I definitely appreciate in this was cut continuity. The witch cuts the back of Ed's hand to get some blood for her ritual. Later in the movie, you can see where the back of his hand was cut. I feel like most movies wouldn't have bothered making sure the cut was in later scenes. Definite props there. It's a tiny thing that shows a lot of care was put into the movie. All the acting in the movie is pretty terrible. Lance Henriksen, best known for his role as Bishop from Aliens, plays Ed Harley, and for the most part, he's pretty good, but there's a scene where he is pleading with the witch to stop Pumpkinhead that is standout awful. I'm not really sure why I never watched this movie. I used to watch the Sci-Fi Channel a ton when I was younger, and they showed it practically every day it feels like. It looks like Sci-Fi is responsible for two of the sequels, so that's probably why they showed all the movies whenever possible. I was not blown away by Pumpkinhead. It's an okay creature feature slasher. I'd say skip this unless you're really bored and it pops up on cable. I doubt anyone even has cable anymore. I'm going to watch the entire series for this, so here we go. Number 2, Pumpkinhead 2, Blood Wings, 1994, directed by Jeff Burr. In 1958, an auto club called the Red Wings kill a strange looking boy named Tommy. In the present day, a group of teens are hanging out. One of the teens, Danny, hits an old woman with his car goes to her house, steals a vial of blood, hits her to the ground with a flashlight, and then performs a ritual that resurrects Tommy as Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead then tracks down and kills all the Red Wings. After finishing them off, Pumpkinhead then kills all the teens except for Jenny since her dad, now the town sheriff, saved Tommy from falling to his death when they were younger. Pumpkinhead is then gunned down by a mob. The Red Wings, Danny, and Pumpkinhead are the killers. I'm counting Danny since he performed the ritual. There's a girl named Marcy that kind of helps, but all she did was pour some stolen blood on a corpse. I also forgot to mention that after being knocked down in her home, the old woman is also horrifically burned when a fire starts. She dies later on in the movie. All the events that led to her death were caused by Danny. While watching the movie, I thought Pumpkinhead wasn't even going to make the killer list since he starts off only killing people that killed him. Revenge killing doesn't make the list unless the revenge killing leads to someone innocent dying, which, once Pumpkinhead gets to the teens, he kills three that I consider innocent. So, on the list he goes. I consider the original Pumpkinhead to be a bad movie that can somewhat be enjoyed because of some great creature effects. Pumpkinhead 2 Calabar's Revenge is terrible. Everything in it is bad. The acting, the creature effects, and even the gore. Sure, the kills are much crazier than the original. We get a man turned into a torso, 
a head pulled straight off its shoulders, and a couple that's impaled together, but everything looks cheesy and bad. There is even a scene where Pumpkinhead picks up a dude and breaks his back Bane style. The comic where Bane breaks Batman's back came out the year before this movie. The whole time I was watching Pumpkinhead 2, I wasn't sure if the movie was self-aware or not. It has references to other horror movies, for example, The Old Woman Has the Necronomicon, and Pet Cemetery is literally called out. Horror icons like Kane Hodder and Linnea Quigley have short parts in the movie. I don't think people should be in horror movies solely because they're icons. Seeing Kane Hodder and Linnea Quigley pulled me completely out of Bloodwings. They are terrible actors. They don't really do anything for me at all. It seems that most of the cast had ties to other big horror movies, but all the acting in this is terrible. Nobody is believable. Speaking of things that aren't believable, the movie starts off with the Red Wings Auto Club murdering Tommy. Why? Why did they hunt and murder this deformed boy? They don't have a motive or anything. Did they get together out of boredom and decide to go a murderin'? Also, these are a bunch of greaser-looking guys. Cut to present day, and most of them do not look like the type of guys that would have been in a greaser auto club. Everyone's just a farmer now, except for the murder leader, who's now a judge. One's also a mailman, who's really bad at his job, but whatever. Another thing that's hard to believe, Jenny decides to keep pursuing Danny, who I should have mentioned earlier is the judge's son, after he shows his true old lady beating colors. Come on, Jenny. I know you were trying to rebel against your cop dad, but still. The camera work in Pumpkinhead 2 is very unique, and by unique I mean bad. I understand the thought that POV shots from someone hanging upside down might be cool, but if you are going to include those shots, don't flip back and forth between the upside down and right side up character point of views. This movie uses almost every obvious stock sound you can think of besides a Wilhelm scream, which I probably just missed. I was honestly amazed at the amount of sounds I had already heard in different movies. Every time I heard a terrible stock sound, I was sucked right out of the movie. If you can't tell by now, I never felt enthralled by this movie, not even for a second. Pumpkinhead looks like a guy in a terrible suit, 100% of the time in this sequel compared to the 30% in the original. The makeup on the old lady is so much worse this time around. They are different old ladies, but oh man is the makeup for the Pumpkinhead 2 old lady some of the cheapest work I've ever seen. Skip Pumpkinhead 2 Blood Wings. For some reason all the events of the first movie were retconned in favor of making a terrible Friday the 13th knockoff. Finishing this series is going to be a lot harder than I thought. Number 3, Pumpkinhead, Ashes to Ashes. 2006, directed by Jake West. A kid named Bunt, from the first movie, is all grown up and a lot dumber than he used to be. Bunt and some other idiots rob graves for the town doctor, so the doctor can sell the organs to make money in order to keep his medical services free for the town. Relatives of the deceased find out about this and angrily call upon Pumpkinhead for vengeance. Pumpkinhead kills pretty much everyone except Bunt and a couple others. The doctor, one of his henchmen, 
the four people that summon Pumpkinhead, Pumpkinhead, and the witch are killers. Pumpkinhead Ashes to Ashes, Funk to Funky, We Know Major Tom's a Junkie, is a terrible movie, but a great David Bowie song. Did you know that the music video for Ashes to Ashes was the most expensive video of all time when it was made? What? Why am I focusing more on David Bowie trivia than Pumpkinhead 3? Well, you see, Pumpkinhead 3 is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. It's absolutely horrendous throughout. There's no enjoyment to be had. You know that scene in A Clockwork Orange where Alex is strapped to a chair and forced to watch all that sex and violence for some experimental aversion therapy? That's what watching Pumpkinhead 3 was like for me. Boy oh boy did it work. I don't want to watch another Pumpkinhead film for as long as I live. I don't care that Pumpkinhead 3 is canonical with the first. Why is Ed Harley back? At least one person summoned Pumpkinhead before he did, and Ed Harley wasn't haunted by their ghost. Lance Henriksen, why did you agree to this? Were you hurting for money? I can understand doing something for a paycheck, so I won't dog on you too much. Besides, your acting is the only decent acting in the entire movie. Everyone else set the bar lower than I thought it could go. After watching this movie, I feel like the acting in Bloodwings is Oscar-worthy. All of the delivery throughout the entire movie is horrendous. Everyone puts on a southern accent, which no one pulls off. It also sounds like a lot of the lines were dubbed after shooting. One character has an incredibly deep voice that appears to have been deepened in posts. Why did they think that was necessary? Why did they even make this movie? Did it even make any money? So the town doctor is harvesting organs from stolen corpses. Okay. They're dead. So why not? He has access to a crematorium, so he can also burn the bodies and leave no evidence behind. The perfect crime. The only problem is, instead of burning the bodies using the easily accessible cremator, the doctor has his henchmen dispose of the bodies in a swamp and barn. Of course it makes much more sense for the doctor to leave a ton of bodies around for someone to stumble upon, why would he not want to get caught? A random guy shockingly walks in on this well-run operation, and the doc and his crew decide to kill him. It's a good thing one of them is a doctor and can definitely make sure that the guy is dead before dumping his body. What do you mean the doctor doesn't check to make sure the guy is dead before the body dump, which leads to the random guy popping up thus sparking an investigation into the operation which uncovers everything. Well, everything but the doctor's involvement. Also, why the hell would anyone summon Pumpkinhead because their relatives' corpses were dug up and deorganed? Four people summoned Pumpkinhead together in this movie. The doctor and his crew didn't even kill any of their kin. They were just making some money off their already dead bodies. Is it immoral? Definitely. Should the punishment for such actions be death? Absolutely not. Looking past the stupid plot points and abysmal acting, the effects in this movie are also bad, barring Pumpkinhead's transformation from weird corpse to full demon, which looks way better than I expected, even though it's far from amazing. Besides that, all the other effects in this movie are hot garbage. Pumpkinhead's movements are stiffer than ever, even when the demon is turned into some of the worst CGI I've ever seen. The pumpkin head in the original is a scary predator that's hypermobile 
and ready to kill you from any angle. The ashes to ashes pumpkin head is just a dude in a suit walking slowly on stilts. The witch's makeup effects are at an all-time low. It looks like they bought a cheap Wicked Witch mask at a Halloween store, spray-painted it flesh color, then tossed a gray wig on top. An ugly brown filter was added over everything in the movie. Ashes to Ashes is by far one of the most hideous movies I've ever seen. The gore looks barely okay, and all the kills are boring. The sound design is terrible too. It literally uses awful horror fanfare you'd expect to hear when watching an episode of Scare Tactics over and over and over. Please, promise me you won't watch Pumpkinhead Ashes to Ashes. There is no enjoyment to be had. What? What do you mean they made another one? No. Please. I can't do it anymore. You can't make me. I'd rather die. Number 4. Pumpkinhead Blood Feud, 2007, directed by Michael Hurst. A guy named Dallas, who is going to be the sheriff in the future, and his brother, try to escape Pumpkinhead. The brother dies, but Dallas survives after killing Pumpkinhead's summoner. Five years later, we meet two families, the McCoys and the Hatfields, who are feuding. A McCoy boy named Ricky loves a Hatfield girl named Jody. While they are secretly hooking up, Ricky's younger sister dies from a tumble after running away from two Hatfields. Ricky summons Pumpkinhead to kill all the Hatfields. Jody kills Ricky after most of her family has already been killed by Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead, Ricky, Tommy, Billy Bob, Jerry Lineford, the witch, the sheriff, and his brother are the killers. Who are some of those people? Did I maybe miss some killers? Who cares? This movie is absolute trash. I mean, maybe it's better than 3, but both 3 and 4 are some of the worst movies I have ever seen, period. I remember watching a lot of these sci-fi original movies as a kid and enjoying them. Maybe some of the others are decent, but oh boy are these movies just bad terrible. Pour one out for the poor souls that watch these movies on the sci-fi channel with commercials. They are already way too long. The main plot point of the movie is the feud between the McCoys and Hatfields. Want to know how the feud started? A McCoy hit a Hatfield with a car, crippling him. The McCoys said they'd give the Hatfields the car as compensation. The car was not handed over. That's it. Also, that boy grows up and is now the uncle of the house. Some Hatfields go ruin a McCoy wedding. When they come back home, they say they did it for their uncle. A little later on in the movie, the uncle has a heart-to-heart -heart with Jody and basically gives her his blessing to hang out with Ricky. After she leaves, her brothers threaten their uncle into saying where Jody went. So your uncle is the main reason for this feud, you ruined a wedding in his honor, and you don't even respect him. Then why the hell are you even feuding? He doesn't care, and he was the original victim. If you are going to center your movie around a feud, at least make the reasoning behind said feud make sense. The same brothers, Tommy and Billy Bob, try to rape Ricky's little sister, who then falls and dies trying to run away, making them killers in hopefully everyone's book. This event causes Ricky to go to the old witch, 
who is looking as terrible as ever with the awful prosthetics and wig. He gets her to summon Pumpkinhead to kill all the Hatfields. Gee, Ricky, did you ever think about how Jody would feel about you deciding her whole family should die? Did you think about her little sister or other family members that were innocent in regards to your sister's death? I know if my girlfriend sicked Pumpkinhead on my family, she'd have to sleep on the couch for at least a week. Did you really think Jody was going to be happy about you having her family killed? Did you, Ricky? Ricky is such a pathetic character. Also, how did his sister get snuck up on anyway? She was the lookout. It's incredibly hard to walk through a forest without making noise. How did she not hear Tommy and Billy Bomb coming? Oh yeah, she had to die for the plot to move forward. But she totally would have at least heard and probably seen them coming. Pretty much all of my complaints about everything in the last movie are the same here. The gore looks better in this one though. There's a neat disembowel kill and an actually awesome kill where Pumpkinhead tosses a dude headfirst into a bear trap. I didn't expect a great kill, but I'm happy at least one good kill came out of these trash sequels. There isn't even a transformation scene in Blood Feud. The witch pours the blood concoction into the ground where Pumpkinhead is buried, and then he crawls out, which looks horrendous. We get the same terrible horror fanfare sounds, and another character has a voice that sounds like it was deepened in post for no reason. We also get a nonchalant drop of the other F word that comes out of nowhere. Why was that included? The viewer already hates the characters at that point in the film. There is absolutely no reason for it. One more thing about the hilariously bad sound design in Blood Feud. There's a scene where Ricky hits a guy in the head with a tall boy beer can, and the sound effect that is added in is the sound of a bottle shattering. This movie says Ed Harley was the first to summon Pumpkinhead, which is wrong. The first movie shows at least one Pumpkinhead rampage prior to Ed Harley's. You already know not to watch this by now. Do not watch Pumpkinhead 2, 3, or 4. Heck, don't even watch the original. If you are absolutely desperate for a creature slasher movie, I guess you can watch the original Pumpkinhead, but at this point, I'd say if you are that desperate, just watch a comedy or that show you've already binged a million times on Netflix again. Number 5, Friend Request, 2016, directed by Simon Verhoeven. A girl named Laura adds a rando goth classmate named Marina as a friend on Facebook. Marina gets obsessive, so Laura removes her. Marina then completes a revenge ritual by killing herself. All of Laura's close friends start dying. One of her friends, named Kobe, tries to kill her since he thinks doing so will stop the curse. He fails, but does kill her boyfriend before getting taken out by the curse. Laura then looks into a mirror and becomes the new goth rando. Marina and Kobe are the killers. Laura's friends kill themselves, but only because they are curse-possessed, so I'm not counting them. What a ride. Did you all know that Facebook is evil? Oh, you already knew that? Did you already see friend request? No? You've just been keeping up with the news. Oh, okay. Well, friend request punched me in the face for an hour and a half about the evils of social media. 
I know I'll never accept a friend request from a goth ever again. In the beginning of the movie, Laura has 830 friends. At the end, zero. Damn. How'd she lose all those friends? Her account keeps posting the snuff films of her friends and the goth's deaths on her wall throughout the movie. I know what you're thinking. Doing this would actually make more people want to be your friend. What can I say? People are messed up and terrible, but y'all knew that. The acting in this is pretty bad. Most of the acting seems fine because the guy who plays Laura's boyfriend Tyler, played by actor William Mosley, is so brutally terrible that he makes all the other performances in the movie look great by comparison. Every time he delivers a line, I had a huge smile on my face, and most lines got a giggle out of me. Surprisingly, a lot of the visual effects in Friend Requests look amazing. Marina's mom was in a commune fire. She ended up horribly burned and was kept alive until she gave birth to Marina. The makeup done for the scorched pregnant mom is great. Unfortunately, pointless CGI is added to her face for some jump scares. The terrible CGI is mostly used for multiple demon face jump scares that never hit their mark and for fake looking black hornets that buzz around and attack people. There are two young boys that keep popping up throughout the movie with mutilated faces that skeeved me out hardcore. I'm not sure if their faces were completely practical, digitally altered, or a mix, but however these terrifying mutilated faces were done, they are fantastically creepy. Besides these three characters, there is some really bad makeup that makes most of the friends look methed out. Terrible white contacts are also used when people are taken over by the curse, which make a bunch of scenes feel overly cartoony. Most of the deaths in this movie are bland. One is outright hilarious. A guy friend of Laura dies after bouncing around in an elevator, bashing his head into the walls, which ends up being 100% comedic and 0% disturbing. Marina's death is kind of cool though. She sets a fire on the ground, then hangs herself, thus hanging herself and lighting herself on fire at the same time. A very neat way for a goth witch to go out. I'd like to read a snippet of dialogue from the movie to give you an idea of how good the writing is. Ahem. Unfriend that dead bitch. As you can tell from that line, the writing is not the best. Most of the camera work is passable, but there are about a million unnecessary zooms. So many of the zooms have perfect comedic timing that I started to question if they weren't purposely used for laughs. The score for this movie is overbearing trash. The cherry on top is the dubstep song played over the credits. Some random thoughts. Laura looks like a young Vera Farmiga. Britt Morgan is in this. I recognized her from her role as Lacey on a short-lived show called The Middleman. It's a fun Monster of the Week show that's cheesy but self-aware. I recommend checking out The Middleman if you're into that kind of thing. Back to friend requests. How was Marina able to livestream her ritual suicide without an internet connection? Black magic really can do anything. Friend Request is a really dumb movie, but I'd say it lands in the bad good camp. If you want a movie you can throw on that is a tiny bit creepy and has multiple unintended goofs, check out Friend Request.
Number six, most likely to die, 2015, directed by Anthony de Blasi. A group of high school friends meet up ten years after graduation. People start dying. The final girl, Gabby, is tricked into shooting and killing her friend. It's revealed that one of the group members named DJ is the killer. His motive was vengeance, since the group ruined another dude named John Darty's life. He says John killed himself. Gabby tricks DJ, then takes him out once he hands her a gun. The movie ends with an unknown person, who is probably John, picking up the mantle of the graduation killer after everyone else has left. Gabby and DJ are the killers. What happens when you take Shiner Beer, Heather Morris, who's a girl known for her dancing, Perez Hilton, who's a guy everyone forgot existed, some other randoms, and a Busey, and shove them all into a horror movie, you get most likely to die. Surprisingly enough, this movie had some of the best kills I've seen in a while. Most of the fantastic kills in this movie are centered around a graduation cap that has razor-sharp edges. In one scene, the killer cuts the girl's throat open with the hat still on his head. In another, the hat is thrown like some deadly I-got-my-diploma shuriken that partially cuts off another girl's head. The killer then removes the head with his bare, well, gloved, hands. The last of the great kills doesn't involve the hat, but does involve a hockey stick being shoved down a guy's throat before a throat slash. The gore is all on point and a ton of fun. Before these amazing kills, the movie is boring and unoriginal. You can predict all the dialogue. Also, all the other kills are pretty lame. Most of them are either off-screen or downright terrible. Looking at you, Jake Busey rope strangulation kill. Why is Jake Busey in this? How did y'all even find him? He plays the creepy perv groundskeeper perfectly. I just thought he had stopped acting. Why do all these high school reunion movies have a creepy perv groundskeeper in them? I guess to include an easy red herring for first-time watchers of the horror genre to fall for. I knew it wasn't you, Busey. While watching this, I was pretty sure the killer was DJ, if not actually John D. Pretty early on, since DJ was labeled most likely to have the last laugh in high school. Get it? He'd laugh after killing everybody. They wouldn't be able to laugh because they'd be dead. So only he could laugh, thus giving him the last laugh. Because no one else would have the ability to laugh due to death. What a twist. The acting in this is actually pretty passable, which surprised me. Maybe my standards are just incredibly low after my stint in Pumpkinhead Purgatory, but everyone besides Heather Morris and Perez Hilton do an alright job. I don't completely blame Heather for her performance. In the movie, her character Gabby is a professional poker player, so anytime she talks, she's forced to use terrible poker analogies. That's a really hard thing to sell organically. Perez Hilton, on the other hand, is just bad, but I don't think anyone expects anything great from him anyway. I know that decisions in horror movies are supposed to be stupid, but this group takes it to a whole nother level. The party is split multiple times, people are left alone to die, no one is continuously trying to call the police, a gun is left in a hideaway book, a clear shot at the killer isn't taken. Seriously, the killer is standing over a guy who's on the ground 
and one of the characters tells Gabby not to shoot because the guy is there, on the ground. I don't care if you've never used a gun, you are not going to accidentally shoot the homie on the ground. There are just oodles of dumb dumb decisions in this. It's like no one even cares that there is a killer on the loose. They rather spend time chit-chatting than trying to survive. From the beginning, no one minds that the homeowner is missing for hours on end. If I came over to hang out at a friend's house and that friend wasn't there, I would make priority one figuring out where they are. I definitely wouldn't shrug them being gone off and have a popcorn fight with my adult friends, which happens in this. That's not y'all's house. Animals. It turns out the entire house is powered by a tiny generator that is in the killer's murder shack for some reason. A character who dies in the intro shows up in a fancy car. When she runs outside the house to use it to escape the killer, the car is somehow made unusable off screen and never really shown again as a focal point, which I thought was hilarious. Don't want to lose that deposit on the rental. I appreciate that the killer is an arts and crafts master. DJ puts a lot of effort into his killing spree. He has little signs to lead people to their doom, he sets up situations for friends to kill each other, and he even put blood into a soap dispenser. I was flabbergasted when I saw blood come out of that dispenser. It isn't one of those plastic ones you'd buy at a store, it's one of those fancy metal ones attached to the sink. Who knows how to replace the soap in those? Only janitors and wizards have uncovered that sacred knowledge. All I could picture was DJ hanging out in the bathroom with a YouTube video tutorial on how to change the soap in fancy dispensers, playing on his phone in one hand with a cup full of fresh blood extracted from an earlier victim in the other. Most likely to die is not the greatest slasher, but if you are looking for a whodunit slasher with some great kills and a lot of pointless drama, check this one out. Just ignore the random lens flare that is on the screen for 5 minutes. Number 7. Midnight Video Shorts I got a like on one of my recent podcast posts from a studio called Midnight Video. So I thought, what the heck, why not watch their shorts for a 7th topic? I mean, that's probably what they wanted me to do. This isn't sponsored or anything. Man, it would be cool if it was. If this podcast ever makes a dollar, I'll figuratively eat a hat. Anyway, I'll start off with Where Is It, which I believe is from 2017, written and directed by Zach White and Todd Spence. It's about a woman coming home after some time away who FaceTimes her friend that house sat for her. The friend reveals that an old mirror broke, which leads to some writing popping up on the walls about the mirror's whereabouts. The short ends with the woman getting jumped by a demon guy who would probably be the killer if this was a normal segment. The acting in this short is pretty good. I really like the main actress, she does a great job. The friend isn't as good, but isn't the worst. The friend's acting is better than a lot of the acting in my own short film, so I can't really dog on it. The premise of the short is simple. I really like the use of FaceTime. We even get parts where the main character flips the camera's view from her face to what she sees. These transitions are a little jarring, but might look exactly how it does when you FaceTime someone. I haven't used that functionality in years. 
Something that really helps the short is the decision to have the friend's video feed have connection issues. It really helps up the dread when the friend sees the demon behind our main character but can't warn her fast enough due to a drop in the connection. Everything is shot incredibly well. It's very hard to have writing on the walls come off as actually creepy when it comes to horror movies. I feel like the wall writing in Where Is It doesn't look bad, but scary writing is still a hard sell. The demon guy's makeup works for the brief time he is on screen, but I would have liked his entire design to have been more inhuman. Also, I wouldn't have him actually saying Where Is It at the end, since it's creepier if he doesn't talk. The next short I watched is their most recent. It's called Your Date Is Here. It was released in 2017, directed and written by Todd Spence and Zach White again, and was shown at Fantastic Fest here in Austin. This one is about a mom and daughter playing a version of the classic date phone board game, which is called Your Date Is Here in the short. Things get freaky on the phone, and after a pizza arrives, so does the mom's creepy date. I really like the idea of a haunted board game. Feature films have been based on the concept since it's just that good. The suspense in this short works. We get the creepy voice on the phone and the pizza guy door fake out that are used in a lot of horror movies. The way the evil dream date is revealed is the opening and closing of a pizza box. We get a fake out before the actual reveal which adds some great tension to Mr. Greasy's appearance. His makeup didn't do much for me. My one piece of advice for Midnight Video is to really go all out when it comes to making creepy characters. The last thing you see should stick with you. For example, take a look at the original short Lights Out released in 2013 that was directed by David F. Sandberg. The short led to him getting to make a feature-length version, which is kind of silly and fun but I'm only talking about the short that can be looked up online. The creepy monster thing at the end of the short is incredibly unsettling. When you're going for that big scare at the end, I want whatever I see to skeeve me out. Go all out on the makeup effects. The acting in your date is here is good. The mom is believable and the kid isn't bad either. Everything is shot incredibly well, even though it's a little dark at times. I'd recommend giving these shorts a watch if you want some fun, quick horror. You can search for the Midnight Video channel on YouTube. That's a wrap on episode 18. I honestly did not know if I'd be able to get through the content for this episode. If I never hear Pumpkinhead again, it'll be too soon. I beg you to avoid all of those movies. Sure, you can watch the original and walk away thinking it was May. But why waste your time? If you need terrible movie content for some reason, by all means, check out the entire franchise. Once again, big thanks to Sticker Fridge for graciously allowing me to host this podcast on their website, which then delivers it to all your favorite podcast apps. A new show on the network called Basuda Boys is exploding, and for good reason. It's a funny podcast about four trash children jabbering about anything they can think of. Check it out if you are a fan of risque topics and other giggle-inducing chit-chat. The next Blank is the Killer will be released on May 20th. If you like this episode, leave a comment anywhere you can, 
or an iTunes rating. Till next time, stay spooky. I have to go destroy a graveyard pumpkin patch once and for all.